Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, we're going to have fun. That is, you're going to learn some things you didn't think, ever think of before. Uh, it's going to be a little sad as well, kind of a sad story to share. But um, from that, you can extract some really interesting uh, perspective on low carb. So this is about low carb. Some people wonder, gosh, if he stopped being uh, low carb keto? No, not at all. Um, I think low carb, and I could say this forever, our journey over the last, what, seven years plus now and over two, coming up in two and a half years of doing this podcast. No, I'm absolutely a believer in low carbs. And I think there's ways to help the 50% who do not get any benefit because they can't be compliant to the low carb ketogenic way of living, way of eating, whatever you want to call it. And that's where my attention has gone. So through our coaching program, um, I've certainly learned a lot, and I think the people who have gone through have learned a lot more than they thought. So each of us is different, and you have to look under the hood. How is that for an analogy? So today is very much about low carb, and it's going to be an animal application to humans. So let me give you a little background. Okay, then. It has to do, also, that was thinking about, do I start with the info or do I start the personal story? The personal story is that we've always had two cats and we got two cats about uh, 15 years ago now um, in uh, Groton, Connecticut at the Humane Society. I think they call it PAWS there. And uh, two seven-week-old Maine Coon cats and uh, they loved each other and that was more fun to watch that they loved each other than than how much they loved or didn't love us. But anyway, the female, Sheba, Sheba and Samson, Sheba had to be put down at age 12. Samson still lives on. He's now 15 plus. And so why was that? They were brother and sister. And so it happened to be she was, you know, showing us visibly, visibly that she was hurting when we had to take this long trip down from Cape Cod to New Bern, North Carolina. It's about an 18-hour trip with packed trucks and so on and so forth. So ends up the the day we arrived, we had uh, had to put her down. So let me go back a little bit. When we were in Orleans, Mass., we had taken her the week before 
to the vet, and uh, the vet assesses, well, she has kidney disease. That's interesting. One cat has kidney disease and the other doesn't. And I found out, you know, more and more about kidney disease in cats and things that she didn't tell us, not that she had to. And kidney disease is pretty common in cats. That's the first thing. Kidney disease is a, is a dietary, dietarily induced disease of cats. That's the second thing. Third thing is, and this is not where we went into, and I had to figure this out for myself, and this has to do with what you're going to hear today from other people, not just me, that the cat foods that are out there now, good cat foods, quote unquote, that you get from veterinarian, from vets, et cetera, et cetera, they're supposed to be so medically good, um, are not medically good. Make a long story short, I'll give you the punchline before we get into the details, and that is cats are obligate carnivores. Cats are obligate carnivores. So they have to eat meat or organs. That's it. They're not particularly fussy. That's why they're always out there ready to kill things. And so that's why you need to keep bell on your around your cat's neck if it's outside so it doesn't kill a lot of birds. And there's a whole epidemic of that. But anyways, they are obligate hunters, they're obligate carnivores, and all this cat food nonsense, even the canned cat food of, you know, look at the carbs that are in there. So they shouldn't be having any carbs. And the fact that they do have carbs from kibbles or whatever you're, you know, wild, we thought we were giving them really good wild salmon this and deer that. And, um, and uh, so she, through carbs, in her diet that we were giving her from the dry food that she preferred that I say that with a little guilt tinge, um, that she basically ate food that she shouldn't have had. And so when we gave them things like, uh, salmon or fish or, uh, she had some of it. She just wasn't as attracted to that kind of food. Whereas salmon was more, Samson was more of a, I'll have some real stuff, please. And we usually gave it at scraps because we were never told it was an issue. I was just unaware of this as 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 a uh, concern. So here we are. We are in Orleans. We're going to be moving out of the house we had been renting for five years, almost bought, and it. We just didn't have enough time to address this, and we did all these labs on on Shiba, and did some labs on uh, Samson enough to know that he was quite well and there wasn't anything wrong with him. He was uh, about an 18-pound cat, and she was about 12. So um, $800 later in medical bills with this particular vet who we've come to know. I mean, she's nice. It was a nice, nothing wrong with the people involved in the story, but it quickly got to be an expensive uh, expensive uh, visit, a series of visits for this particular vet's office. And so the supposed conclusion was that Sheba had to have a very low-protein diet. So now we're even going to go even further into a damaging diet for an obligate carnivore, which is the cat, which is Sheba. So we buy these special cans of cat food and special dried cat food, and we're really making sure that... And of course, she's not interested. You know, it's like it was tasteless to her. And um, so we get down to New Bern and quickly have to find a vet. I go off as... The movers are coming in and so on. And uh, this, uh, this 
vet does some tests and said she's critically ill. You know, she had been obviously hurting for a while and suspected it was a time to, to put her down. So he did, or I did. It was very sad, but looking back, I, I am transferring her lesson of being a, an obligate carnivore to humans. And so now you can argue this is the weak link in the conversation. I don't think it's a weak link. I think there's so much mismarketing around what were humans anyway? Are they omnivores? Are they carnivores? Are they, you know, vegetarians? They're certainly not vegetarians. And so it's hard to get at the truth. And so that's why in the previous uh, discussions we've had through these podcasts, we've talked about how whether it's the explorers in the Arctic that lived two years on meat alone, meat and fat, then they're fine. They came back and studied for a couple of years. Or whether it's uh, Dr. Edis talking about 10,000 years ago, the changes in, um, in the agriculture of the dairy and the wheat that were brought in, and consequently humans became shorter and arthritis and heart disease started showing up. And they know that through the fossils, the mummies and so on and so forth. So it was a big change. And so when I look back, and I think we're all looking to what is the best diet? What is the most ancestrally appropriate diet? Or in a saying another way, how much can we change our diet and have it still be healthy with us? So we've talked about processed foods way back when we talked about sweeteners and how these things are very inappropriate. They're very inappropriate for us. But the problem is with your pets, nobody's really supervising these companies. I mean, some companies put themselves out and saying, you know, look at this is a situation and now they have their brand of food. You know, they have their product out there. So, and there's nothing wrong with selling anything. However, the truth always gets a little bit muddled in there. And so having to learn that lesson up front and having to hold that um, and having these cats. We picked up another kitten a month or so later here, so there'd always be two. Um, we're very aware of the obligate carnivore. So now what I'm going to switch to is that I was listening to a talk on low carb and kidney disease. By the way, it's not low carb causes kidney disease. Is low carb relative to kidney disease? Is it appropriate or is it not appropriate? And um, this woman, Dr. Sarah Hewen, she's a nephrologist, a kidney doctor. And she goes through a, a pretty long and fact-filled, and I'll put the link, by the way, I'll put the link to this uh, video on YouTube, that she goes through You know what we know about kidney disease, how we get there, what we know about her husband's type 1 diabetic, work with Dr. Brustein and what they did, and what diabetes has to do with kidney disease, what high-carb diets, what are carbohydrates in general have to do with kidney disease, and, and obviously what carbs have to do with diabetes. And you'll see that we're all going down the same road. So you remove the carbs, you re certainly remove the possibility for the most part of kidney disease, you remove the possibility of diabetes, and so things clear up. That's kind of the overgeneralized summary of her talk. As I say, I'll put that link on there and you can get through word by word. But what I want to go over is that she started early in the talk um, about her cat. So she had a very similar experience to ours, and I thought that I would share that. I'm going to give you information 
that Dr. Hewen is talking about her husband, who's a type 1 diabetic, and how she, he straightened out himself with Dr. Brewstein. And from there, we'll go into the, the cat story. They're both very linked, and um, it's such a great story. Here we go. Prior to meeting Dr. Bernstein, he was suffering from blood glucose roller coasters despite meticulous carb counting. He had frequent migraines, was in a brain fog most days, and was just absolutely miserable. Meanwhile, his endocrinologists were thrilled with his diabetes control with an A1C less than 7, so his symptoms must be from something else. After seeing Dr. Bernstein and starting a low-carb diet, he achieved stable blood sugars, became migraine-free, and his mental function and quality of life improved. But now on a low-carb diet, will he get more kidney stones? Will he be at increased risk for kidney disease? Speaking of kidney... I want to add in um, this part. So Dr. Brustein, um is obviously a really interesting guy, and he's in his early 80s, I believe. And so his whole philosophy, and he's one of the earlier uh, doctors that cracked the code for diabetes, in my view, and in many other people's view. And so... Um, you would think that counting carbs, you know, just like you can do if you're on chronometer or my fitness pal, these are how many carbs that I had, that that would be key. How many carbs per meal, how frequently you're having these carbs and so on and so forth. And so you would make it kind of a mathematical tally of your day and diets in terms of carbs. But uh, Dr. Brewstein says, you know, that's too far from the actual reality. The reality is what's driving your insulin. If you're type 1 diabetic, you really don't have much in the way of insulin. So it's really what is getting up your, your glucose. And so given now we have two insulin uh, medications, a uh, fast-acting and a slow-acting, um, his approach is let's treat the glucose. You know, First of all, yes, be reasonable with your carbs and do some count carb counting and, and really you know, narrow down your requirement there. But um, let's use those insulins to make sure you never get a spike in glucose. So you're monitoring and you're using these medications. So he's saying, let's keep our glucose within a certain number range. And by that, we will be using both those uh, insulins, the short range and the long range, the long, -term, the long term and the short term. And so that's been his approach. And so focusing on what actually is your glucose in your blood was the key difference as opposed to just counting your carbs and assuming your glucose was going to be whatever it was going to be. That was a little bit too much of a, an assumption to make. Let's monitor it. And so therefore, they're doing finger pricks all the time. Now, of course, they're coming into the world of continual glucose monitors, but it comes down to learning what you've eaten, how you're going to react to it, and what kind of insulin you need. So that's his... That's his um, perspective and that's what he does and that's why he has incredible success is keeping it from spiking keeping it from getting low and for that you use the insulin so now on to what she learned about her cat disease last year we adopted two shelter cats and we were sent home with a bag of dry kibble they had intermittent chronic diarrhea their breath was horrible and their coat were, was wiry we took them to the vet and got probiotics and expensive prescription diet with minor improvement so we began to research cat diets and in the process discovered that there is a rising incidence of obesity, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and kidney stones in cats. And why is this? Turns out cats are obligate carnivores. 
Their prey have less than 2% carbs. Domesticated cats derive from African desert cats and have a very low thirst drive. And they get the vast majority of the water intake from their prey, which is about 70 to 80% water. Modern cat food has added carbs in both wet and dry food, and dry kibble has minimal to no water content, and kibble is often just left out for ad libitum feeding. So excess carbs leads to obesity and diabetes, and chronic dehydration uh, is a risk factor for chronic kidney disease and kidney stone formation. So we decided to put our cats on a raw carnivore diet. And within a week, their diarrhea resolved, and the poops were not only solid, but also minimally odorous. No more bad breath, and their coats were amazingly silky. You might be thinking that this is not relevant because humans are not cats. But by the end of the talk, I hope you will appreciate that the current feline epidemic of diabetes and kidney disease has shockingly similar trends with human disease. Okay, then. So she picked up on the bad breath and the wiry fur. This is exactly like um, our, our Sheba was. And so it was really interesting. I had brother and sister, and one had bad breath and slightly wiry fur. And you thought, well, maybe it's a Maine Coon thing. You know, maybe it's the female Maine Coon thing versus the male Maine Coon thing. Um, so, and she would always be needing water. She was always in search of water. And so it, we, we always made sure there was enough water around. But, um, Anyway, for that context, it's a big deal. And so now, not having seen a lot of patients in my uh, practice that had kidney disease, because they were already seeing a nephrologist, it's interesting to notice this. And she says that the association with feline uh, kidney disease slash diabetes, she was not a fat cat, uh, nor was she obese, but she was dehydrated because of this. Interesting. Okay. I wanted to include her conclusion for her talk if she gets back to her cats, of course. But, um, and a lot of this is our questions that come up for all of us. Some of it's going to be a little bit technical. I'll go over it, but well worth listening. Here we go. What you eat with your protein. There's a difference between physiologic and pathologic hyperfiltration and diabetes is a big modifier. So protect your kidneys from diabetes. Maintain your lean muscle mass and don't wait until it's too late. For kidney stones, stay hydrated with water, avoid fructose, and again, diabetes is a big risk factor. Test for other stone risk factors if already a stone former. And for calcium oxalate and uric acid stones, potassium citrate supplementation is an effective way to alkalinize the urine and to inhibit calcium crystal formation, and also check medications that could increase stone risk. And finally, I can assure you, cats do not need carbohydrates for energy. Thanks for your attention. So that's pretty interesting. Um, some of the things she said, I'm not going to get into the hyperfiltration, uh, that has to do with uh, the pressure on the nephrons and so on and so forth. Interesting talk. And if you want to click into the link, you can go into that. But what she goes into, she comes up with, so how much protein are we supposed to have? And they're saying the recommendation is 0.8 grams per kilogram of uh, ideal body weight. And so that's way under, per my view, and many other people's views as well. And she kind of comes around to that and saying, you know, except for those who have already have kidney disease, 
you know, it's a lot higher. And as we get older, we need more. So these are the conclusions that are kind of coming out of that. But she also said it's what you have in addition to your protein. So what she means is think of those those ribs you have and you slather on all that sugar in essence, right? You're slathering on the whether it's the artificial sugar or the fructose or the actual um, sugar from sugar beets or sugar cane, that kind of intensely refined carbohydrate in and on cooked, baked, grilled, whatever uh, meat is not good for you. And so that is one of the causative factors. So it's what you have your meat with. So it's not much you had some corn. Well, that's carbs too, but also I'm not pardoning the corn and I haven't had it for a while. Not that I'm against corn and I'll have some sometime. Um, But it's the refined carbs and having carbs with meat. That's the thing that is the problem for most of us. Not all the time. There again is sort of taking a shot at what is the ancestrally appropriate diet for all of us to have. Um, and yeah, we're not going to go back to just organ meats and um, and uh, meat and being 100% carnivores. I'm pretty close to that. But there's limitations to what you can get in this country for as well. But working within your your desire. You know, what is it you're trying to do? For me, it was clearly getting healthy. So I was willing to make that greater effort than most people are willing to make. And so was my wife for her issues as well. And so making the effort, really sticking to it, and also being lucky enough to sort of take our own labs and start figuring things out and um, talking to other docs, I see what's working. And I see there's a huge truth in this. And so for me, this is golden information. Um, the fact that it is sort of replicated by the cat problems we're having that are induced by the processed foods. Let's just call it that. Cat food is processed food. Uh, carnivore, 100% meat, fish, whatever, is not processed food. So we're back to the same basic answer. We don't know are we obligate carnivores. That's going to be argued until the cows come home. No pun in that. And I feel we are pretty much obligate. That's what's working for me. And I would have been very surprised. I was way on the other side of advocating a primarily vegetarian uh, diet with huge, huge vegetable gardens and put things away. And this is, you know, that was it. Let's go into it. You know, victory garden, so on and so forth. I think there's a place for that. But now I'm well over on the meat side uh, to be black or white about it. Maybe the podcast will be shut down because of that. Who knows? Um, But you got my point. And so the whole feline thing and us having that experience very close to home, now I understand. So when I sent this particular video off for my wife to to see this, and uh, we had been giving him both dry foods for this now two-year-old cat that we have that's with Samson, Miela and Samson, um, we've now decided to take away all alternative for, forms of food. And they're going to have to figure out do they like fish? Do they like chicken? And, you know, they're just going to have to deal with it. And you give small serving so it doesn't spoil. So I thought that was a real gift, actually, and sort of saying this is a lesson that you can extract from the cat world, you know, the domestic cat world. So they are actually, you know, variations. When you go back to the history of cats, they all came from uh, African cats, you know, up through North Africa and then from there. So we're all actually, it's a it's an African mammal that we all have in our home. Interesting that. 
So I hope that that gave you something to chew on. I hope it makes you think about your pets if you have cats. Um, and I would say, and I'm, I'm looking for another video because I was in, in I was present for a uh, talk that had to do with low carb as well. So it was at one of the low carb conferences I recall. And this doctor was fond of their dogs and they did the same situation of what's wrong with my dog, what's wrong with my dog or dogs and came to the same conclusion that they're obligate carnivores, changed their diet, and everything's incredibly has changed. So I use it as evidence. Is it universal evidence? Pretty close. I'm taking it pretty close to home. I'm not a dog. I'm not a cat. Uh, but my change is very similar to theirs. You know, I'm back to the same sense of energy, uh, body weight, fat percent. Now my fat percent's uh, getting under 20%. Um, I'm down to my high school football weight. So um, I will put the link to this particular presentation up there and uh, feel free to listen to it. And I hope this opens up another page and you're thinking about the low carb. It's not just for humans, it's for other pets. Let's look at this. The processed foods are killing us. So that's what all the cat foods are. And at times we can make that as an exception, but to always have it out there for our cats to eat, it's a little bit like candy, you know, and... That's going to drive a certain pathology that you're not going to be able to undo if it goes too far in that direction. Okay. So until next time, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the, the going back and forth of the audio with the YouTubes. I'm going to try to do that more often. It gives me somebody to talk to. Until next time. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview, or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So uh, please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. One thing I want to say, a number of questions have come in in which I've given this answer and the email didn't work. So just make sure that you're receiving at the same email that you sent it in. And I think that might have been the difficulty. So I look forward to your questions. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I'm hoping to answer your questions. And I think this world of keto is not just black and white. You know, it's nice that it's simple, but it's not simple for some. I'm really trying to, you know, go down as anybody, any of you who have listened to all my podcasts, we started way back when, history and evolution, epilepsy, and so on and so forth. You know, now we're seeing some tremendous overlap in uh, various uh, mental disorders, just schizophrenia, or neurological disorders that are not just epilepsy. And also, just for people and losing weight, it's sometimes pretty complicated for them to engage in keto, and so they need some help. And so that's the whole point of, at least that's what I think I'm doing, is exploring the world of why are there other factors? And so in exploring some of those other factors, we've covered addiction, we've covered hormones, we've covered uh, nutritional deficiencies, we've covered certain metabolic lab results, and we'll go further. We'll even get to more on genome and aspects. So these are all just 
contributions that make for an obstacle for some people to engage easily in the ketogenic diet. This is my belief, and these are the things that I've discovered, and I think other people have discovered some of these things, but not ever put them together. So stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.